So I think the first factor comes into my mind is efficiency. So in terms of efficiency, you can see that for a DAO, when you want to do some crucial um, decisions, you have to make a proposal and then to obtain the voting. So when we have like, say five people, I didn't think DAO was very important. And when we didn't want to grow our like board members or initial startup member size, a DAO is not very, very important. However, there's a there is a reason for us to moving that into a DAO is like when you have a DAO, then you have the tokens of that organization. And then the growth of this organization is financially bound to you. And then with governancing those tokens, you have the incentive to work for this organization. And even like we can in the future, we can share our tokens with our users. Therefore, these users might have like the incentives to make this DAO better. So I think that could be um, like a triggering for for our our organization to grow. However, in the initial stage, we didn't think DAO was very important because of those efficiency issues. Welcome back to On-Chain Experiments, formerly known as Your Voice First Podcast. Today's guest is Christina, grad student in computer science from Stanford. Today's conversation is mostly focused on DAOs, otherwise known as Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. These are a new style of company. Instead of setting up a Delaware C Corp or an LLC, you can start a DAO and work with people from around the world. Christina and her team at Stanford are working on building tooling to help DAOs onboard more people in 2022. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Christina. Hello. Howdy, Christina. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Thank you for letting me push the meeting back to today. Hope that wasn't... Uh, No, it actually works better for me. Awesome. So you had sent me a message and said you are a Stanford student. Is You're working on something with DAOs at Stanford. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So currently I am doing my master's degree at Stanford. I, I am a computer science student and currently I am pairing up with several other engineers in the school and also some other MBA students. And we want to tackle the field of DAO toolings because we are finding that although there are a lot of DAOs existing, the toolings are not very unified and the people are still facing issues in terms of DAO creation, treasury management and a lot of aspects. And I am particularly interested in Bankless DAO because it has some efforts in terms of the treasury management part of of operating a DAO. So I want to learn more about that from you. Yeah, absolutely. Bankless DAO I found has been one of the one of the best DAOs out there in terms of making a name for itself and building out something where anyone can kind of join the DAO and start doing work inside of the DAO and get paid in the bank token for doing work Mm -hmm. um in terms of treasury management yeah i can talk some of the tools i know um i can talk about how i've gotten paid specifically as a developer and engineer inside of bankless dow um yeah from from my Mm -hmm. role i am mostly an engineer so i am i do work inside of the dow i'm championing a project so i had to put in um, one source of funding for my project was the grants committee 
And so I applied for funding for the grants committee. I wrote up a proposal. There was a vote. I got approved for the funding. The funding got distributed to me and for me to be able to pay out the team. I've also taken part in some coordinate rounds. Um, so that was funding for some of the general DAO stuff. There's actually a coordinate round going on right now. And then the other way has been through tipping. And that's more of like gig economy style work where someone will have a project that they'll need done that is more of a spin-off side project, more of like a one task, one story, one sprint kind of task. And those, uh, those will be tips. Mm -hmm. um, so th those are a couple different ways that I've received funds from the DAO. Um, I know they use some really cool tools as well. Yeah, so uh, in terms of receiving those funds and also in terms of submitting a proposal to the grants committee and get like the budget, I, I saw that you have a, like your your doll, like the Bankless doll has a proposal about having a budget within that doll. So that proposal has been executed and the current mechanism that you mentioned first was like a result of those proposal, right? I submitted my own proposal into the grants committee. The proposal you're probably talking mm -hmm. about is the new season proposal, maybe. So there was a new season that just kicked off, and we did submit uh, funding for the DAO as a whole um, to allocate the funding for all of the projects. Are you talking about the season three funding proposal we just got approved? Yeah, so that, that one is from the yeah, top yeah. level of the DAO. That, that kind of trickles up, and then the DAO submits and says, Hey, well, the DAO has this awesome treasury that we're kind of running and operating off of. Uh, each season, we are pulling out of that treasury in order to fund all the projects. And so, yeah, that was a trickle up of like all of the individual guilds will submit how much the individual guilds need. The projects will talk about how much the projects need and all of that just gets kind of reported and put in. Um, I would have so so how the funds that I got from my project would have come from that would have been the grants committee funding. So if you look inside of the overall DAO budget, you'll see a subset of the funds set aside for the grants committee. And then what that approves is so that whenever people like me have an idea for a project mm -hmm. and I think it would benefit the bankless DAO, I can write up a proposal, go to the grants committee, and then the grants committee already has an allocated bucket of money that they can say, yes, this, this project can get funding or no, this project cannot get funding. And, um, so the, yeah, my my proposal was not directly included inside of that funding, but I would have been a subset of the grants committee for that. Um, so I am kind of confused about what's the difference between the grant committee and that funding that you were mentioning about. Like, I thought they were uh, yeah. The same. So the, the 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 grants committee is like a team inside of the the DAO. Um, you can think of it like the team that you are working on inside of one of your classes. You've got a project group and that project group has a specific goal to execute on an assignment, whether that's an essay or building a model or writing up an application. Like you've got something mm -hmm. to build. But at the end of the day, like even though you do have a project and that project might be to print money for the rest of the organization, you still exist underneath the larger organization. And so even though the grants committee does talk about funds and they do release funds for project, they are at the end of the day, just a smaller team underneath the larger mm -hmm. DAO. And so once a season, when all of the teams need to ask for funding from the DAO, the grants committee is also asking for funding from the DAO, whereas I am asking for funding from a project. So like you might say, hey, I need $50 to be able to support this call that I'm having with Sweetman.E. 
And so you might ask your team to approve funding for the paying out of this call, mm -hmm. but um, your team as a whole would ask for approval from like the class or from uh, like the broader school of Stanford to get funding for your project. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. So can mm -hmm. I like Please. summarize that to, to check my understanding? Okay, so I think you, like your team or your project is kind of like parallel to the grants committee. Both of you are a subset of this DAO and both of you need to like get approval from the DAO within a season, which is like an epoch to get certain funding. However, grants committee also manage like a certain allocation of money. Therefore, grants committee can also grant you as a project some money. Is that correct? 100% correct. Great. Yeah, so that sounds very interesting to me because it seems like there are a lot of processes of uh, like collecting those approval. Uh, and that makes me to imagine that you have to have like multi-sig uh, wallet in terms of doing those kind of approval. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's been really cool for me to see the multi-sig tech that the DAO is using for Bankless DAO. Because uh, so that mm -hmm. as far as I'm aware, the biggest thing we use for approving shared treasuries is a technology called Gnosis Safe. Are you familiar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of those. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's also what I used in my my family. I spun up a DAO called Sweetman DAO, and so we have six direct family members that are all multi sig members on that. So I'm pretty sure that's how it's done across the. Uh, at least for the multi-sig wallets, I'm sure they all use Gnosis Safe, as far mm -hmm. as I'm aware. But they're, 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 if you ask other people in the DAO, you might hear different answers. Okay, got it. So for the multi-sig, I know that it has to. You have to pay some gas for executing this whole okay. process. So do you aware of like this gas fee or something? Yeah. So all of Bankless right now is on Ethereum mainnet. And so when, like the, this is just normal Gnosis safe, when you execute it, what will happen is the first person will just sign a message and they'll, they'll sign saying that they want the transaction to go through. And then everyone else will get a notification saying, Hey, we need X number of signatures to complete this transaction. And then everyone else is just signing messages. Um, so nobody's paying gas for all these signatures on the multi-sig. They're all mm -hmm. signing messages, but not paying any gas. Um, they're not actually transacting with smart contract. They're just signing a message to sign a message with their private key. Um, and then whoever the last person is, or sometimes after everyone signs, then someone will go back in and actually click the button to execute. And so then one person out of the token holders, out of the, the signers in the multi-sig wallet, one of the signers when they're in manually execute the transaction. And when they execute the transaction, uh, their wallet will be charged the gas fees. So even though there are multiple holders of the wallet, one of the signers is the one actually paying for that gas fee. And right now, that is entirely on Ethereum mainnet. So as you are probably aware, pretty pretty high gas fees overall. Okay, got it. So it's like you are having an L2 solution of this multi-sig process? Um, so the multi-sig lives on top of L, L, L1 Ethereum right now. Um, my specific project is actually helping us expand onto Polygon as not necessarily an L2, but what I would call part of the Ethereum L2 scaling uh, ecosystem. And all of the multi-sigs right now inside of Bankless DAO live directly on Ethereum, the L1. Nothing right now really they're talking about starting to introduce 
now that my project is getting off, like in Polygon is, we, we do now support the bankless token on Polygon. So now that the DAO is starting to expand over there, we're talking and saying like, well, should certain treasuries put part or all of their allocation of tokens onto Polygon so that we can move the money around without having to pay these gas fees? And should we spin up a multi-sig to manage treasuries on Polygon? And so the conversations are starting to happen for the L2 expansion. But as of right now, as, unless, again, the DAO's a big place and there could be other stuff mm-hmm. going on that I'm unaware of, but I'm, I'm 90% sure Every all of the multi sigs live on Ethereum L1 right now. Okay, that sounds very interesting. So you are still using L1. So uh, technically, I don't worry. I'm not very aware of like how do you do this uh, like signature process without paying the gas fee. So the smart contracts is actually not being executed. So how do you do the signing? Yeah, process um, that's a great question. Are you're you're a computer science student, right? Okay, so yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a great library or a couple great libraries for you to look into um, on on the front end side if you're working with like JavaScript or a client library that that's built on top of JavaScript like React or Angular or any anything kind of front end. Uh, the libraries are Web3JS, which yeah. is the original library and was built by the Ethereum Foundation, as well as Ether.js, which is a relatively newer library and oh. is kind of the developer favorite right now. Are you are you familiar with either of those two libraries? No, actually, when I wrote my like crypto projects, I just use React. Oh wow! So did did you interact with any smart contracts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I use Solidity. Well, so the smart contract would be written in Solidity. How did you get your your React app to actually read from the Solidity smart contract? Actually, I was using some template, so I I can I can recall that and then send you some relevant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you should, you should definitely check because I bet they're. You, you should check which library they're using because they are probably using either Ethers JS or Web three JS. Regardless, that's kind of a, a, a side point. So when you look inside of those libraries, there are a few methods that you can call. There's the call method. There is the sign message me- or the the sign. Yeah, the sign message method in the transact method. Now, starting with call. Or let's start with transact because I think that's what most people think about when they think about interacting with a smart contract. A transact would be when you need to pay gas to write onto a blockchain. This would be something like minting an NFT or updating a value that's stored inside of a smart contract or uh, trading a token, anything where something needs to be written to a blockchain and gas needs to be paid. That's a transact method. Um, and so when you're writing your front end code to interact with mm-hmm. that and probably exists in your template, okay. if you're signing a message and gas is getting paid, you're doing the transact method. The next method is the call method. Call is when you are reading a value from a smart contract. So these would be just like reading a public value, being able to read and see, does this person own uh, this NFT? Like if I want to check if someone owns an NFT, I can read that off of the smart contract and I don't have to pay any gas to read that value from the smart contract. So you can read and, and these these functions would be pure or view or pub, public view and pure functions. These are functions that don't execute and do anything to modify the state of the blockchain. They're just data. So these you still uh, you actually don't need to sign this at all. Um, mm-hmm. No message needs to be signed. Apps like Uniswap that query the blockchain and then just display data without you having to connect your wallet. They're using call methods to populate that data, like the prices of tokens. Um, and then the final method is a sign message method. This that is used across apps like OpenSea. And a lot of times on OpenSea, 
when you'd want to do an action like uh, clicking the little heart beside an NFT to favorite an NFT, it'll pop open a little message that says sign message. And you'll notice that there's no gas fee associated. It's not actually submitting anything to the blockchain. All that OpenSea is trying to do is use your private key to sign a message that can verify, oh, okay, this person that holds this private key is actually the person that wants to heart this message. And so you can authenticate mess actions that happen. That never had to interact with a smart contract. All that they wanted to do is when you perform an action on your account, uh, they can just verify, okay, this is still... Uh, this is still the person that I think it is that's trying to make the changes to their account or to like a message or to um, like give approval for an action. So did, does does that make sense? Kind of the difference between the different methods. So the things are not, so I know that when you are writing like a solidity project, uh, half of that could be taken on top of the Solidity contract, therefore the smart contract side, and the other side is like the API and the JavaScript side. So you are saying that by moving some functionalities using those libraries or APIs of JavaScript, these actions actually has nothing to do with the uh, ETH minnet. Therefore, there's like no gas fee for doing that. For example, this multi-sig process, is that correct? Yes, yes. The signing of the message has nothing to do with any of the chains, exactly. Oh yeah, sorry. I I, I used Web3GS, <laughs> and I, I mistakenly told you that way was React. Sorry for that. Yeah, I used Web3GS. Yeah, Web3 is great. It was it was built by the Ethereum Foundation. It was the first that that exists. It's a it's a great, definitely a great framework overall. There's it's awesome, good good. Uh yeah. So I think that these are my questions for. Um, the gas fee problem. And I think it is really interesting to hear that from you because a lot of other DAO organizers were complaining to me about the high gas fee of a multi-seek process. So maybe that could be easily solved by the, like the, the, the method, or I think this is a standard method that you mentioned before, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's what you do on Gnosis Safe. At the end of the day, someone does still have to pay the gas. Um, what I did on mine is I just deployed it to an L2. So for Sweetman DAO, the treasury is deployed on top of Polygon. And so anytime I, one of us has to execute the transaction, it, I mean, you, you've seen the fees on Polygon probably. It's less than a, a hundredth of a penny for me to do it. So if, if you want cheap multi-sigs, just deploy on Gnosis Safe on a different L2, whether that's Polygon or XDAI, there's, they have so many networks that they support. I, I'm, I'm curious now to flip it over to you. What is the the project you're you're thinking of working on? Is this for a capstone project? Uh, no, actually, there is a class called Lean Launchpad at Stanford, and this is like an entrepreneurship class. And uh, like some successful project from this class is like DoorDash, so it is actually like a startup incubator. And me and my my partners, we are trying to do sort of like a startup project, and some of us are going to do that after graduation, but I am going to Facebook as an engineer. Uh, but generally, this is not a capstone project. In term, uh, other than that, it, this is like a startup project. Very cool, very cool. And what, what team are you gonna be? Do they, have they told you the team you're working? Oh, you mean like the Facebook team? I, I, I haven't heard back from them yet because the team, uh, allocation or the team selection is actually after you join Facebook. So this is after my graduation. However, I have interned at Facebook twice before, and both of those experiences was in the S ranking team. So I was an ML person. 
Ah, machine learning. Interesting. And uh, just general general curiosity of, it seems like this project is dabbling on the Web3 side. And Facebook is talking about becoming metaverse, so maybe they're kind of growing into Web3. Looking at kind of computer science, are you more excited about the AI side or the Web3 side in terms of like building out? Because they're very different tech stacks for the most. Yes, so I think currently I'm very interested in Web3 because I think that is what everything is going to converge to, like AI in the last decade. And also because Facebook is moving to the metaverse, I'm thinking that uh, like including NFT and DAOs, that those Web3 concepts are going to be very important for those like Web2 companies as well. Therefore, I am feeling like a responsibility for myself to learn those things in depth and also get involved into those concepts as deep as possible. I really appreciate you taking a deep dive into Web3. I, I do agree. I, I think a lot of Web2 companies are going to have a lot of challenges adapting and coming over to Web3, and a lot of them might just end up dying. So to see engineers like you that are going to be going into Facebook are having an interest with Web3 and actually learning about this technology, it's really exciting. It might 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 help help Facebook to really adapt and make make an imprint. Have I haven't heard much about Facebook's metaverse? Um, do do they tell you anything in terms of like has is it being released yet or is it still just kind of an announcement and no real no real like technology? Um, in terms of Facebook, actually, I am not in the I, I am not in the position of speaking for Facebook. And also, I have no idea about those things because I was just an intern. Okay. Um, awesome. Awesome. Any other way I yeah, can uh, sorry. help with your project? Yeah. Also, I am very um, interested in, like, how many DAOs are you being part of? Um, my time is split between my full time, which is Mint Songs. That's a Web3 mm -hmm. company. That is more on the traditional side. Uh, it, it actually has a registration within the United States. We've got fund or funding from companies like Coinbase and Polygon Ventures and Grammatic and Capital or Castle Island. And that one's like W2 full-time employment. Um, but it's also in the Web3 space. We build on top of Polygon and we mm -hmm. are an NFT marketplace for music NFTs. The, the other work is inside of Bankless DAO. So that's the work mm -hmm. that I think we've been talking about a lot of. So I'm inside of the Dev Guild, inside of Bankless DAO. Dev Guild, I would consider like a sub DAO of the Bankless DAO. And then inside of the Dev Guild, I'm on the DGen, the DGen bot team, mm -hmm. which is a chatbot based team underneath the Bankless DAO. So you could call that three DAOs within itself, or you could call it one. It all depends on how you want to measure kind of the DAO and the meetings and involvements to go. And then I've also got um, Sweetman Dow. Sweetman Dow is my family treasury, and it's a family shared bank account. Um, just when you're when you're thinking of the inheritance that you're going to get from your parents, or you're thinking of building up a graduation fund for your kids or a car fund for your kids as you get into the full time workplace, um, Web three is going to enable us to set up family treasuries in our own kind of very small DAOs. Where at a base level, the very simplest form a DAO is just a treasury and a group of people treasury and some people that, that like each other. So a family can have a shared treasury. And then when I want to mm -hmm. put one ETH inside of there, my family can then work together to make that ETH as uh, active and profitable as an asset as possible. And I can leverage my entire family to grow this bank account. And then 
if I come back to the U.S. because I'm about to be traveling to Argentina, when I come back to the U.S., if I need to buy a car, I can just pull out a loan against my family Dow. And then instead of me having to pay back a bank, I can pay interest into the Dow and continue to uh, grow the financial capabilities of the shared multi-sig wallet so that when it's time for my children to need to go to college, it's very easy for them to just get a loan from the Sweetman Dow and not have to go to a private bank or to not have to go to a lot of the traditional loans and financial institutions, but can instead like leverage a bankless existence where my family is the bank. My family has built up a big enough bank that can support my family. And I think more and more people are getting to that position where they can build these family treasuries. And that family treasury could potentially support the growth of the family for generations to come. That sounds very exciting about like having a family to to actually operate it in a DAO manner. Our team is also thinking about whether we are going to build up a DAO and then to operate that under this manner. But this is still in the initial stage of of uh, like interest. And based on that, oh yeah, you can you can you can yeah. I'm very I'm very time. I'm very excited about the people that are in college right now that are in your position where they're about to graduate and they're they have so many opportunities. Like you could go and work at one of the FANG companies. You could go and work at a Web3 company. You could just go into the creator economy and earn enough to be able to support yourself. But the people that are like looking at Web3 um, when they graduate college, I'm super curious about. And so as you guys are thinking about whether you want this to be a more formal business or a DAO, are there any thoughts you can share about like how that conversation goes in the minds of college students of like the pros and cons of why you would potentially want this to be more on the traditional business side, as opposed to why would you want whatever the project you build? Um, so I think the first factor comes into my mind is efficiency. So in terms of efficiency, you can see that for a DAO, when you want to do some crucial um, decisions, you have to make a proposal and then to obtain the voting. So when we have like, say five people, I didn't think that was very important. And when we didn't want to grow our like board members or initial startup member size, a DAO is not very, very important. However, there's a there's a reason for us to moving that into a DAO is like when you have a DAO, then you have the tokens of that organization. And then the growth of this organization is financially bound to you. And then with governancing those tokens, you have the incentive to work for this organization. And even like we can, in the future, we can share our tokens with our users. Therefore, these users might have like the incentives to make this DAO better. So I think that could be um, like a triggering for for our our organization to grow. However, in the initial stage, we didn't think DAO was very important because of those efficiency issues. Mm, mm. So if I can summarize for smaller teams of like only a couple people, a token and going into a DAO doesn't really make sense. But if you think that what you're building can potentially scale to hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people, then something with a DAO and a token where you can kind of enforce governance starts to make sense. Like DAOs kind of make more sense at scale. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Very cool thought. I feel like that encourages long-term thinking when, when you, when you keep stepping back and thinking of the bigger picture and more and more people, I think that encourages people to think beyond immediate short-term consequences and really start to consider things on a bigger scale. 
And that makes me really excited because I don't think there are enough people that are making big decisions in this world are uh, thinking of things in the long term and people are often making short term decisions. So to hear you saying that DAOs are organizations that are kind of more attractive to college students, thinking about them at scale and how much more powerful DAOs are for things at scale and thinking about bigger communities is really, really cool. Um, have you, what is the project you guys are actually working on? I'm not, I'm not sure you said yet what, what it is. Is it still in the, the thinking phase? You said you're in an entrepreneurship class. What's the, what, what's like your team working on? Okay, so um, our team is called DAO++. It was initially facing the developers of DAOs and to help you to organize your income. However, we later learned that maybe treasury management is a larger issue for DAOs. I think you might not experience in that because you are a developer, so you have the capability of writing those code by yourself and to, to like handle those guys' issue. However, as I interviewed several DAO organizers, they were not very familiar with those um, technical solutions of how to efficiently managing their treasuries. In addition to this, some report that the voting uh, phase was very, t t took too much time. Therefore, they want to scale up this process. Therefore, we want to develop a DAO tooling for um, the DAOs to efficiently operating their treasuries in a transparent and also fast manner. Does that make sense? Interesting. So, so a lot of people that you've been talking to say that the voting process in signing multi-sig messages takes too much time. Uh, took too much gas, I think. Too much gas. Interesting. Yes, I, I thought they were doing like everything on chain. Yeah. Interesting. Do you do you have any idea what their current solution is? Like, are they are most people doing custom solutions, or are most people using Gnosis Safe? Or like it, everybody. Oh, sorry. I I thought everybody was using. Gnosis okay. Safe. Okay. So wow. So the people that are using Gnosis Safer are, are complaining that it takes too much too much time too much gas. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. So so interesting. So what do you, how are you guys going to improve upon? Like, are you going to build something that builds on top of Gnosis Safe, or kind of build something that could almost be a competitor to Gnosis Safe? That is the part that we are still deciding through interviews. And also we want to find out, like, is that a really good direction for us to pursue? So, for example, you are a developer. So my question for you is, are you still experiencing some issues of the DAO treasury management, given all those tools you have? Um, as a developer, I feel like I have infinite opportunities inside of the DAO and I do not feel limited in any way in terms of the funds that I'm re receiving. I think, I think I'm getting a lot of good returns by doing development work inside of a DAO. Like again, I, I, I get full-time pay and my, my full-time company is venture backed. So it's not like I need, need money, but I really like working inside of the DAO and I like how much I'm getting incentivized financially inside of the DAO. I think developers get great pay tip like as as you know going into facebook as an engineer like engineers get great pay and so being in web3 engineers are also already getting great pay and i think all the mechanisms are great like when i got funding money just showed up in my wallet i didn't have to sign any messages way faster than what i would have done in web2 i'm 
I'm interested to younger hear younger and younger people because I am biased. Before before this, I did work at Amazon and I have run my own startup. So like I'm very familiar with a lot of like Web two companies and what payments are like. And so to me, just having these Web three rails at all is incredibly uh, humbling and exciting as a developer to just see money on chain happen and. So the toolings I'd say for me feel phenomenal. Um, so I'm really curious. I think more and more people, and especially people in your age bracket, are going to continue to make really cool products that I'm not even thinking of. And so I'm just I'm curious of what that looks like of what you guys are building. It sounds cool to have something better than Nosa Safe. I'm not sure what that looks like because it it seems fine to me. But I'm I'm very curious of what you guys are building just to hear about the project more. But it sounds like you're still trying to flesh it out in terms of uh, any any choke points I've had for me in terms of using multi-sig. I found it pretty frictionless. Um, I mean, are there mm -hmm. some slight glitches in the mobile app as compared to the web app? Sure. But that that's stuff that I think gets worked out over time and not, I haven't seen any like fundamentally messed up or broken parts in terms of my payments, receiving funds, whether that's from grants committee or coordinate payouts or like just getting tipped, they they all felt pretty frictionless. Yes, so we are also thinking about that from the direction of the organizer. Like when you have that budget or when you have that whole treasury. I mean, okay, so the biggest the biggest challenge on my head right now as a developer is taxes. Like I, I need to find good tax resources to be able to do my taxes, but that 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 is probably a whole different project, not super exciting for computer science. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That would have a lot of like legal and also financial issues, and we are not very yeah. familiar with that. But part of the the thing that I am thinking about is when you are a DAO organizer and you have a lot of money in your pocket, how do you earn the trust from people? Like, yeah, you like like yes, this is decentralized organization, so there there's no need for trust. However, you know, like the issue in Sushi Swap, they just fired Maki, but turned out the the other people was the one that had corruption so actually i'm very curious that did you find that is an issue for example for you are a developer and are you like do you concern about how much other people are receiving i love love that you're aware of sushi swap um so i'm aware that sushi swap is a fork of uniswap and uniswap is a great open source technology um sushi swap to me seems like a land grab, and this is totally like not being super informed with Sushi Swap or Pancake Swap or any of these other swaps. They seem like a land grab to t try to ride on the coattails of what Uniswap is doing, and so I, I honestly don't pay too much attention to them because I I see the team that's building out Uniswap and it seems like the best team. Are the other projects potentially like token grabbing and is there other stuff? Maybe, but I I think in this space you're going to see scams, you're going to see rug pulls, you're going to see pump and dumps like. This space is so open and free, you're going to see a lot of scams and corruption. But at the end of the day, like the same technology that uh, was used to end World War II could also be used to uh, solve a lot of the energy crises that we see in terms of nuclear energy versus the nuclear bomb. But like now we're not building out nuclear energy facilities because people are so afraid of the potential negatives. And so we're not even using any of the positives. And so like, yeah, it does stink when 
some discrepancies do happen. But I think when you look at the broader macro, when you look at technologies like Bitcoin and Ethereum and really cool DAOs like Uniswap and ENS, like these are token drops that get executed really well. These are high, really established companies. They're showing what it can mean to be a DAO and to build a totally decentralized team that can build like billion dollar, trillion dollar market caps and can be bigger than any public funded IPO company that exists today. But nobody's on the payroll. Everything's decentralized. So like uh, going back to your original question, like uh, it does it does it surprise me that stuff that scams happen or rug pulls happen? No. Does it concern me? No, I think that's an opportunity. I think that's an opportunity for a lot of young entrepreneurs to be looking at is like, okay, look at these problems that are happening, which are like rug pulls and pump and dumps, and then say, well, how can how can we help all of the people that are going to be onboarding? Because 2022, we're going to be seeing so many more on, people onboarding onto Ethereum, onto Bitcoin, onto any of these L1s and L2s. What are the pain points that they're currently feeling and how can we help? Because uh, I... Multisig seems pretty locked to me. I, I would be super curious to hear how you could do better than Gnosis Safe um, in terms of because Gnosis Safe is entirely on chain. They don't charge any money, so it's not like they're charging a ton. I'm super curious how you guys are going to create a better like no no diss or anything like out of genuine curiosity. I'm excited to hear how you guys build a better multisig or treasury management experience than what Gnosis Safe has or like what the flaw is that they are lacking that you guys could improve upon. Cause like the gas fees are like, that's just going to happen unless you, that that's just going to happen. And then the, the, the solution to high gas fees is go on to an L2. And if you're going to just make it on an L2, then my question is, well, what, what's going to make your treasury management better than the L2 offerings that Gnosis safe has? Cause Gnosis safe already offers every single L2 out there. And so the gas prices are solved. If you just move your treasury onto an L2. Yeah. Um, so basically, what we, we are not going to replace Nocissive and we didn't even consider Nocissive as a competitor. So what we wanted to do is to onboard new DAOs, like Bankless DAO and also Uniswap or Maker DAOs. They are established DAOs with a lot of talents like you. And they have very in-depth uh, understanding of like Web3 and also how to program in Web3. Uh, and also they are aware of the L2 solutions. However, there are a lot of people, like random people, from like the web two world and they want to onboard themselves onto web three, just like what you've said. So what if we give them a good solution for their treasure management without having them to learn a lot of different tools, for example, without even have them to learn about how to do this, uh, like nocissive multisig thing, like under without, with using the L2 solutions or with writing code in JavaScript and Solidity. Therefore, we want to onboard, like, if there is a DAO and that they only have, like, a philosophical idea, for example, the constitution DAO, they want to purchase a copy of the, this constitution and they don't have any developers, <laughs> what, what should they do? Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for all of these non-technical places, all the non-technical people that want to leverage a multi-sig, but don't necessarily know how to use a ledger might maybe even people that like don't use metamask kind of people like pe people that might not even have a wallet in their browser kind of be uh i think it's not that radical just people who don't know how to write code and also people who are like they want to dial but they want to start something right away hmm and you don't have to write any code and also to deploy there's a gnosis safe 
Like it, all you have to do is sign a message in, in MetaMask. Yeah, and also I think NosisSafe is like a lower layer thing that is like an operation. However, the treasury itself might have a lot of financial things that you have to take into account. For example, if there there is like a transaction you pay to your coworker, and then because this is this is a DAO, so everything should be transparent. And then we want that like there's a mechanism that people will know like how you can look up how how much your coworker is earning. And that might be crucial for the trust of working in this DAO. And because I don't want to work in an organization that pay a thousand dollars to the same amount of work as what I did, but I am only being awarded like $100 and those kind of things to make that frictionless. Interesting. Interesting. So, so also we are thinking about another direction, which is not for the individual treasury management is like um, the equity management. I am not very into that because I'm a technological person, but my teammates are very interested in building like something like Carta for DAOs. But this is also on the early stage of thinking. Carta for DAOs could be, could be cool. Yeah. To, to be able to like visualize equity management and, and make that more, more visible for, like the the token holders that that could be a cool visualization to be able to cuz I have no idea like what percentage of overall bankless DAO tokens I have I don't know who the biggest whales are I don't I don't know who is on the cap table for the DAO and I mm-hmm. I I have no way to visualize that in an easy way right now but all that info should just be publicly available on the blockchain for anyone to read that that's a really cool idea of Carta Carta like a web So you are saying that you have no way to realize the, the the tokens that you are holding, and also no way to realize like those um, people who are holding a lot of tokens within your DAO, and also being paid a well, lot. So, so when you say like pay coworkers, I, I've already got payment to coworkers. I, there's a tool called Collabland where I can just tip and pay co coworker to coworker, and then that can be on chain. Um, and looking up how much a coworker mm-hmm. is making. If I ever have a question of like James Montgomery or Iced Cool or any of the random kind of anonymous identities I see, if they have a .eth address, I can just look them up in ENS and then I can see, oh, okay, this is exactly how many bankless DAO tokens they have. This is when they received those tokens. And then I can look up all of those transactions directly on Etherscan, like a block scanner, because that, that information is just there. So I, I think it's very easy for me to look up how much a coworker is making. But for me to visualize the zooming it out and see like what is the total I, I can already see the total circulating supply on Etherscan. I can look up the token contract for the bankless DAO token and I can see how much is in circulating supply. But to give me a good visualization that says, Hey, sweetman.eth, you have this many tokens, which is this percentage of the total total market cap. Um here's a here's a pie chart showing who the biggest holders of the bankless DAO token are and cut i I really like the visualization of carta because in my full-time job at mint songs i do use carta because i do own equity in mint songs when i started working here i got carta and i will check in on carta to to be able to see like how is my equity looking and i can just kind of look at that in terms of my full-time job i look at that in my full-time I don't have that for me in my in my DAO work, and it would I I I would the fact that I use it in my full time I would love to be able to use that kind of thing in in the DAO work I do to visualize how how does my equity look um, and just visualizing my ownership of the DAO that I'm building that does not exist most of the stuff like yeah yeah um, less is more that it doesn't exist uh, 
the equity management stuff, the Carta for Web3? Yeah, so I think that is a good direction for us to pursue for our, like the following of the semester and also after our graduation, like for like Carta for DAO and also with that, those kind of realization options. Yeah, I, I realize I might have hijacked this a little bit. I, I want to steer it back to just helping you out. Um, th this is your project and I want to support you. I love love that someone at Stanford is working on Web3 tech. So how else can I be of service to you? What questions can I answer? How can I help you get this project done? I don't want to add any. Oh, no, no, no. I think you're because both equity management and also those individual treasury management were in our roadmap or in our hypothesis. So actually, you just answered one of my largest questions is individual treasury management worth to do. And also is equity management or equity realizations worth to do? Are people having this question? So this actually was a very good answer to, to one of my largest questions. And also there are some uh some questions that I want to collect from you. Uh, first of all, uh, you mentioned that you were the creator of Sweetman Dog, which was the dog for your family. Did you face any problems within that? And also what kind of tools did you use for creating that dog? Yeah, that was super exciting. So Christmas day was when Sweetman Dog was born. And what I got from my family, I bought everyone a hardware wallet. So they all mm -hmm. now own a hardware wallet so that they can sign messages and have custodial ownership of or not non-custodial they can be the custodians of their private keys and not have to trust someone like coinbase or even a browser like metamask um, i got them all their ens names mm -hmm. so they all now own their subdomain name of sweetman.eth so you've got like abby.sweetman.eth mm -hmm. and paul.sweetman.eth everyone in my family has their name.sweetman.eth um, and i gave them controlling ownership of that on chain and so i executed all those transactions to assign their ledger devices ownership of those ENSs. And then finally, we set up the DAO treasury on Gnosis Safe. We decided to go with the Polygon network because again, the, the just like you said, I didn't want to pay the high gas fees of Ethereum L1 and I really like Polygon. So I spent pretty much all Christmas day helping my family getting their Ledger hardware wallets set up and just like talking them through. These are your seed phrases. You're gonna write these down. Here's how here's like how you're gonna protect this. You will never take a photo of this. You will never send this to anybody. This is gonna get locked inside of a lockbox and never looked at again. And uh just kind of explaining to them what a private key is and how to sign a message. And then and then uh, after that I sent so the the last gift of Christmas Day is I bought a bunch of music NFTs from Mint Songs, and then I sent all of those NFTs into the Dow Treasury. So I sent them into the Gnosis mm -hmm. Safe account and then i just had my family run through signing the gnosis safe messages because again like none of us had ever been an owner of a multi-sig before multi-sig is a very foreign concept to most people my parents are 41 years older than me so my parents are in their their like mid 60s so like to, to try to teach them the concept of a multi-sig and signing to approve something in a shared wallet was a very foreign concept and so then for me to kind of put it into this term of Hey, I've put everyone's Christmas present inside of this group mm -hmm. bank account. I now need you guys to go in and approve and sign this message so that we can send the, the Christmas present to each of the individual holders. And then, so then we spun up six different transactions inside of the DAO, um, inside of that Gnosis safe multi-sig. And then everyone in my family just would sign it on their ledger hardware wallets. Some of them downloaded the Gnosis safe app on their iOS device because they're, they're iPhone users and they like doing it on their phones. I personally like doing all my Web3 stuff on the laptop, so I did it all. I signed all my messages on the laptop, mm -hmm. but 
I would just cycle people in. The Sweetman Dow Treasury requires four out of six of us to sign messages. And so I would just, uh, I would cycle the different people in to get everyone practice. Like, come over here, Abby, I need you to sign this message. Or, hey, mom, we still need one more signature on this message. Will you sign the message? And then uh, we that, that took us like all of Christmas Day. We started opening up presents and they started opening up the ledgers by the end of the day. And you could look this up on chain. If you look up Sweetman.eth, you can see all the transactions on December 25th of when we were setting up the DAO. You can see every single thing that we did, which is one of the really cool things about this technology is I don't have to give you permission to look at how Sweetman DAO is doing. You could look it up any second on, on a blockchain explorer. And so now the question for, for people like you is, how, how can I do an even better job than Etherscan? Because there are so many opportunities in the space. The people like you that are building are doing incredible things and are coming up with really creative solutions for this world. And like, I, I'm, I continue to be astounded by the creativity of, of people like you that are out here building things from scratch. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the recognition. We are still trying to achieve that, that stage. And then this is very interesting. This is the first time I heard someone who set up a doll for their family and the, the whole process of that. And then could you please explain any challenges you faced during the creation process or you didn't face any challenges? Um, that's, that, that is a great question. Um, the, the education piece is very important and I had to do a lot of handholding. I, I can definitely agree with you that it is not easy to get someone to understand the signing of messages. And I, I really just wonder like what would be a better way? Because the whole benefit of web three is that I can be the custodial owner, but in order to be the custodial owner, you have to be cryptographically safe. And in order to be cryptographically safe, you have to protect your private key. And so if you're protecting your private key, the best two solutions you have would be a hardware wallet like ledger or Trezor which do you own a, have you tried doing any message signatures on like a hardware wallet before? No, but I, I have. Yeah, they're not, players. not super. Have you, have you done a MetaMask transaction before? Interesting. No. Have you, have you ever done anything on chain where you've signed a message and interacted with a smart contract? Actually, I didn't. I actually wrote several, like twice, smart contracts, but I didn't like sign the, the the transactions by myself. And also, to be honest, I am a Coinbase user. I I, I also it's also in my stack. I would say Coinbase is more of my hot hot wallet. At, at at Mint Songs, Coinbase is one of our investors, and so I actually get my full time pay. So like the money that you would get paid through Facebook instead of it going into my bank account like a normal direct deposit. My money just shows up inside of Coinbase when I get paid. So like I, I get paid in ETH every two weeks. And so I think in a couple of days I actually get paid and my pay shows up in, in, in Coinbase. So I'm right there with you. I do also leverage, leverage Coinbase. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's a bad thing at all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. So you were mentioning that it is very hard for, for those people who are new to Web3 to understand the signing of messages and the things that they have to, oh uh, yeah, you can, you it's, can go It's ahead. really challenging, but the question is, how do you improve that? I think that's what every wallet app out there is trying to answer is like, how do you improve that experience? Because without making it custodial, because I like, how do you, how do you improve that experience without making it custodial? Cause yeah, Coinbase is sweet. Like I'm not signing any transactions, but at the end of the day, if Coinbase gets hacked, like my crypto could be gone because I'm, cause Coinbase is a custodial service. And, and that's why I don't keep all my money in Coinbase is just like 
frick, I've got too much money to trust to a company. I, I, I want to protect that myself. And so that's where I can put onto a hardware wallet. And, and so like the question, it, unless you're doing a custodial service, then I, if you're doing a custodial service, I think you could make the user experience better. Because if you're just obfuscating it and you're not having the user sign any messages, then you can create the Coinbase of the multi-sig wallet. But then the question is, well, if you're trusting if you're trusting another third party to handle a multi-sig, why are you even having a multi-sig in the first place? Like you're, you're, you you already have you now have a vulnerability where you're trusting you're trusting whatever company you're building to manage those private keys. And so then if that company gets hacked and loses the private keys, then all of your shared treasuries are gone. And so like, that's the risk you run with a custodial service, something like Coinbase. And so like, that's the question that I keep coming back to with thinking of, I I, I do understand that it's a hard problem, but then the question is how do you make it better while still enforcing like the digital ownership and the need for signatures that comes with, uh, comes with web three, like uh, maybe using magic. Have you seen uh, the service magic auth? Uh, I have heard of that. So that, that could be that. one because Magic Auth does still spin up a non-custodial wallet, um, but it's all controlled by email. And so then you could potentially make it so that your user experience looks something like someone signs in with an email address. They authenticate using Magic Link, which then gives you um, a public key and a private key that you can use. And then inside of your app, they just click a little checkbox that approves the transaction. And then Magic Auth will sign it behind the scenes. And so they don't have to download MetaMask. They don't have to, they don't have to download any wallet. All that they would have to do would be use their email address. So Magic Link could be a really good solution to, to make it like a non-techie version where you don't need to worry about public keys or private keys. You just need an email address and then you can spin up a multi-sig wallet that's entirely non-custodial. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. I think that, that could be like, Generally, this philosophy is something that we want to pursue is to like remove all those jargons and all those barriers for, for access those realm of Web3 and also for people who are new to starting DAOs or new, just like heard the term Bitcoin a week ago, but they still want to try something by themselves. Yeah, Magic, magic Auth could be that, that piece because it's all. Yeah, 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 that. That sounds very interesting. Um, and I think proceed to the next question. Um, so when you were proposed like new directions or your new projects to Bank Lifestyle, did you face any challenges as a proposer? And also, did you face any challenges when you were collecting votes from, from people for this proposal and for, your, uh, for the treasury of your proposal? I did not have any challenges for me. It, it, it seemed like it felt like there were, there was wind in my sail. Um, the idea was kind of put forward for me to do my project by someone else. Someone else was like, Hey, you've got Polygon experience. You should start looking at this. And I was like, Oh, okay. That'd be cool if I had helped. And then someone else paired with me and helped me write up the proposal. And so then I just kind of had to fill in some details. And when I finished, I was like, I don't know where to post this proposal and I messaged again the, the, the guy a guy that was helping me and then he took the proposal and posted it for me in the forum and then votes just showed up like I, I I think I got around 100 votes in total on the proposal 
And so we got quite a few votes um, mm-hmm. and they just kind of showed up. I didn't have to ask anybody for it. They just showed up and uh, it, it seemed like everything fell into place very easily. Mm-hmm. But I think I might have a rare experience there because I, all of that happened in the bull run of 2021 and there was so much bullish sentiment around DAOs. And maybe I got it that smoothly because we were so early and it might not be that early for other people moving forward. But it, I, for me, it was incredibly easy. It was incredibly smooth. It, fe- it felt like I could I could pitch any idea and have it go through with very little friction for me to get funding for a project, which was very hard in like creating a new startup otherwise. That sounds very interesting. I heard from other people that they were, it was very hard for them to get the votes for their proposals. Maybe that is because your proposal is like jointly composed by several people. And those of you have already had those influences, uh, in the, within the style. So you are, you are like not experiencing all those issues. That's, is that correct? Maybe, I guess. Are these other people you're talking to? Are they also from Bankless style or are they? From- they are from other DAOs, like smaller DAOs or the DAOs that are less organized. Interesting. If, are, are you able to just like list off any of the other DAOs that uh, you're kind of talking to? Is that, would that, I, I'm always curious what DAOs are currently getting attention. And so if you could just kind of like name drop any DAOs that you're kind of doing research on, that would be very cool. So, and for anyone listening, I, I am involved in the Bankless DAO and that's, that's the DAO that we've been talking about for most. Oh yeah, so who ha- I have uh, talked to were people from Flamingo DAOs, and also there was a DAO called Synapse. Um, and besides that, I'm personally doing research on Curve DAO because I'm kind of into DeFi. Very cool. I have I've heard of Curve DAO. I have not heard of Flamingo or the other one, but that's a super cool spread of different DAOs. And generally, people are saying that um, th- those DAOs or those solutions of cross-chain bridging is like a trend currently are you feeling that that's a major pain going cross-chain with anything is a pain like uh especially if you want to go back to eth layer one that anytime i want to move something from any l2 back down to eth layer one i feel like it costs me multiple hundreds of us dollars which is just ludicrous if we think that that's going to scale to everybody um definitely a pain point jumping Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. So my, my plan is to look into those cross-chain things in the future. However, that I, I don't think this is very important for our project, but this is still very interesting to know. Uh, and for for the next point I'm going to mention is for voting on the proposals. Based on what I have collected so far, people are not experiencing a lot of issues for a voting process. So did you did you like experiencing any issues for voting? Uh, when, when we're actually using our tokens to vote, I think we often use this app called snapshot and snapshot seems like a really popular app and with snapshot, it's super simple to, to use my tokens to vote on stuff. So I, I, I felt like, I felt like it was way easier than I would expect it to be with how early we are for me to be able to use my tokens and vote and then to see everyone else and what they voted on and how much tokens they had. Cause like, depending on how many tokens you have, your, your weight is more. Mm-hmm. in the vote and so you can kind of just see and be like oh i know this person wow this is how many tokens that they allocated to their vote that's very it's very cool to see uh just like a, a, how how the how the consensus is made inside of a dao I, I think snapshot does a great job so no no friction at all 
Okay, got it. I think that aligns with what I have collected before. And then the the next point is for hiring workforce. So have you ever hired like talents for your project or your DAOs? Challenge with my project or DAO? Um, that was that the question. Do I have any challenges with my projects or with the DAO? Uh, I mean, for hiring talents, like you you want like one developer for something and you want to hire that one or recruiting. Oh, oh, hiring talent. Oh, 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 oh. Um, um, so, so let me, I want to give in a perspective here from someone named Hashmay from Bankless DAO. Uh, Hashmay runs the, she is yeah. the uh, talent coordinator for the dev guild of Bankless DAO. And I have heard Hashmay say that it is often challenging to know who is available inside of the DAO when people come and offer work. And so sh- someone else inside of the DAO might come up to Hashmay and say, hey, we've got a project uh, going on. We need a developer that knows Solidity or we need a front-end developer. We need this developer. And Hashmay doesn't necessarily know who's available for work, what skills everybody has. And so she finds herself in a position sometimes as a talent coordinator where she's just like, I'm going to do my best to fill that position. I have no idea if we have any developers available. So I can't give you any certainty if we can fill that dev role, but I will do my best. And then they just kind of go out and look. So like, um, I think some creative solutions we have played around with are bounty boards and having bounties that people can create to then in a channel very clearly display, mm-hmm. hey, these are bounties. These are some projects that you can work on. If you check this emoji, then you will pick up that bounty and then you can do it. That's a great, that's how I got started in the DAO doing work and getting paid. Um, but in terms of like longer term projects and, and uh, orchestrating the talent inside of the DAO, I would say that that is a very interesting problem and a very interesting challenge for decentralized organizations. Organizations that like the whole goal is for them to be decentralized, but with project management, that is that is like something that is trying to centralize something and organize something. So they, they feel like competing forces or competing principles and mindsets, but it is definitely a, a challenge right now to organize talent in the long term to know what talents are available, what projects are available, um, where should I as a developer go to maximize my output into the DAO? And then the other way around, like as a project, where should we be looking to find these devs or organize this mm-hmm. talent to execute the work? So there is actually a issue within like sourcing talents within a DAO. Even if you have all those amazing people joining this DAO, it is very hard to know who is available for a certain task because there's Absolutely. no centralized way 100%. of managing that. And then I have read about bounty boards on your GitHub, like the Bankless Bank GitHub. And then I am very interested in that. Could you please explain more about bounty boards? And is that unique to Bankless DAO? I don't know if it's unique to Bankless DAO, but I think it's a great mechanism that more DAO should leverage because it makes public facing tasks that anyone can very easily come in and then pick up and get started and earn their first dollar inside of a DAO. Um, you at a very base level, it's been built in with our chatbot, And so you can just do the forward slash like bounty start command or something like that. And then our bot will message you back and will say, Hey, it looks like you're trying to set up a bounty. Um, what's the title of the bounty? What's the description? Is there a deadline? How much is the payout for it? And you just answer all the bot's questions. And then when you finish, the bot will post that official bounty posting. Um, and it'll note you as the creator. And then it'll post an emoji beneath it. 
And I think it's like the check emoji or something. So as soon as that bounty gets posted, anyone can claim it. But you want to prevent two people from trying to claim the same bounty that way, because if two people claim the same bounty, then someone's going to be disappointed when they don't deliver the work first and they don't get paid. And you want to prevent that from happening. And so whoever clicks that emoji first underneath the bounty to claim it, the bounty will then update and it will label whoever has claimed the bounty. So that way everyone is then aware, oh, okay, this person has picked up this gig. You can call it a gig similar to like Uber or Upwork or any other gig economy kind of work. They picked up this gig, they're going to do the task. And then whenever they deliver the task, they then check another emoji underneath uh, that bounty to say, hey, I'm delivering the task. When you check that you deliver it, it'll then notify whoever created the bounty to say, hey, uh, Sweetman.eth has completed his bounty. Uh, do you approve of this work? And if they say, yes, I approve of the work, then the funding will get released and I will get paid for the work that I've done. And if I get rejected, then I will need to submit again. And that's the whole kind of like. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds very interesting. Is that tied to the treasury management? It is not tied to treasury management as far as I'm aware. That's a really good question about the infrastructure. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for, for all the insights within Bounty Boards because I'm especially interested in that because I think that ties money to talents kind of directly. And I, I was actually very curious about what is happening under the hood. And also because Bankless Doll has so much amazing developers like you, therefore they're able to design and customize something like Bounty Boards for paying their talents and to like to organize something for for an opening task. Therefore, it, it might be very uh, valuable for us to develop something like bounty boards or other mechanism for other dolls to to like recruit and pay their talents. I, I... Yeah, also the second to the last point is have you ever coordinated communications within your dolls? You say, have I ever coordinated communications with inside the DAO? Yeah. For the most part, I'm more of a participant. Um, when I championed my project and I mm -hmm. submitted my proposal to add bank support onto Polygon, um, I did create a new project channel for that. So I do have my own channel in the project's uh, subcategory, and you'll find bank Polygon in there. And so that is my channel. and I my channel it's decentralized mm -hmm. so i don't technically own it at all but that that channel was spun up for my project and um i gotta say I, I don't do a good job of updating it as much as i should i should probably be sending updates in there all the time of the the status of the project but for the most part i just talk with my project team on bgen and i don't update the broader dow's project channel and that that's on me and it's a way that i can improve as an individual is that i'm not being accountable there but that is just the giving you transparency. That's the status of where it's at is I do have a channel, but I don't manage it. And most of the communication inside of the DAO, I, I, I will message people in the DMs. But at this point, I know the project that I'm working on. I know the team that I'm working with. And, and, and there's so many, like you say, there's so much going on inside of Bankless DAO. If I listen to those notifications, I wouldn't get anything done. I just, I wouldn't get anything done. There's too many notifications. And so... I don't even I don't even open the DAO chat most of the time. Like if if there's a meeting, I think probably similar to you right before this. Like you probably don't open Twitter often, 
and you messaged me on Twitter. And so right before the meeting, you opened up Twitter and you saw the DM that I sent you. But like you could have gotten a million notifications between the last time we messaged and now, and you might you might not have opened it up and seen. I, I feel a similar way with uh with the the DAO communication. I, I wouldn't say I check in often. Um, I, I, t- I talk to more people on an individual basis. The people that I work closely with, I message, mm-hmm. and then I get informed of the broader DAO by talking to the individuals that I kind of find myself gravitating towards. Okay, so I think that actually makes a very interesting point. Did you feel that the DAO communication is sort of like overwhelming? And also, we might need a more efficient method of communication within the DAO. Therefore, everybody can learn like can know what are the interesting topics for them to learn and what are the things they want to be updated. Maybe there is something that is related to Polygon and might be very interesting Very interesting to you. However, you are not aware of this because of all those spammings within the DAO communication. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, the Discord is definitely a... Uh, Discord fatigue is a real thing. If you if you figure out a solution for that, that, that is... Uh... Yeah, so uh, like tackling the, the the thing in Discord fatigue and also tackling the thing in onboarding communication and to to make efficient communications within the DAOs is also like part of our hypothesis. And I think you are making that kind of on the value side. And then the last question for today is, um, did you like, how did you give incentives to contributors? Have you ever created like incentives to contributors? Uh, absolutely. Well, one, I've I've received incentives for for doing work, and so I've been on the receiving end. But I have also created created incentives. Mostly, when I try to onboard my friends onto a project, I will create personal little bounties, or I will tip tip them. And so I'll be like, "Hey, you should join Bankless DAO." And if someone joins Bankless DAO, one of my friends, I'll be like, well, "If you show up to a meeting, I will send you a hundred bank." which is, uh, I think, is about $10 in U.S. dollars. And so if they show up to a bankless style meeting and they send me a screenshot, then I'll just tip them 100 bank. Um, so I'll pay out on a small scale like that. Uh, I've received funds from bounties. I've received funds from coordinates. I have not spun them up. Um, the biggest way I know of sending funds has been using a Collabland spot. And using Collabland's bot, I have used the tipping feature within that to pay mm-hmm. other people out. Okay, so uh, you were mentioning that for onboarding people, you are creating personal bounty and tip them with like the bank token and also like using the tool called Coordinate, right? Uh, when I do the tipping, I use a tool called Collabland. Okay. Coordinate is how I get paid each season and kind of from the project. Coordinate is a really cool tool. Um, but, but, but yeah, how I do the tipping, I do the tipping with. Got it. So did you find anything challenging with the current, like the, the current method of giving in, uh, incentives to contributors? And also, did you face any frequency with coordinate? Uh, I I did not. I th- I think that's one of the things that Web three does a phenomenal job at is finding ways to incentivize people. I I think that's the kind of rails. The fact the fact that the the base level protocol has money in it, I think makes it very easy to incentivize things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Like everything, like the philosophy of 
Web3 is built on incentivize people with those money. And that is a true incentive. Yeah. Yeah. When you own stuff, you, you, you typically care about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's very true. And I have a minor question that is unrelated to my class and our project, but just curiosity out of the Bankless doll. I read something on your uh, website that Bankless, like the bank token is like priceless, or it means that you cannot buy or can, cannot sell that. But you mentioned that it worth some US dollars. So is that information being updated? Wait, wait, say that again. You said I made a post somewhere that uh, it's price. Yeah, so it says that bank has no financial value. It is a valueless token that simply re represents participation in the bank class community. Uh, are you reading on top of, are you reading the um, on the Bankless DAO website? Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, it's from the DAO. Interesting. You won't speak on Facebook, but I'm here to speak on the Bankless DAO. Very interesting. <laughs> uh, so for the, the token, so you're wondering about, so if on the website it says it has no financial value, but if you went over to a place like Uniswap, you could swap that token and it does have financial value? Yeah, like, uh, like, what, what is? I, I, that, that, this feels like legal kind of gray talk that makes it so that something's not a security and something's not defined a certain way. Uh, they'll classify it as a certain. They'll, they'll use certain wordings, but um, I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe a more specific question. I'm not, not necessarily sure how to answer. Of what do I think is it valuable? I, I think all ideas are valuable and all memes are going to be traded. We see that with NFTs right now, as well as the ICO boom that existed. Um, and do, am I like, am I worried about the hypocrisy of them saying on their website that it doesn't have any value yet it can be swapped? No, I feel like that's, that's a gray area place that all of web three is in where they're trying to tell stories for an antiquated uh, bureaucracy that's been running on the same rules for hundreds of years but they were dealing with technology that didn't didn't exist more than 10 years ago. And they're, they're just trying to tell stories that make it maybe so we can keep growing and keep doing business. And sometimes that looks like some funny wordings on a website that don't really make sense. Okay. Got it. So I can say that it is actually being updated. That the website's being updated or the price is being updated. Yeah. I mean, just the look price. at, look up bankless token on coin gecko or coin market cap. It's, it's a, it's an ERC token that's trading on top of Ethereum. So that value is going to be fluctuating all the time. And what, what normal economics classes would teach of supply and demand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I was very confusing that it is valueless. Like how could a token of a DAO being valueless and still have those value to, to attract the people to work for them. But, but I think you, you gave me some insights into that. Happy to help. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all my questions, but I find uh, like you are very into this field and you had a lot of good technical and also participation experience or organizing experience inside of DAO. So it is very, very exciting to connect with you. Hey, yeah. Happy I could help a college student. It's seriously excites the crap out of me to hear that you and your, your peers are doing this kind of work. So happy I could jump on and help. If you need anything else, just, just shoot me a message. Uh, this call is going to be recorded, so I'll send you a copy of this audio so you can have full rights of this audio. Do with it as you please. Um, 
And yeah, if you got any other questions, just shoot me a message on Twitter, okay? Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Christina. Other admin notes. We are rebranding from Your Voice First to OnChain Experiments. We will be making that change at the end of this month. Additionally, on February 1st, I am flying to Argentina. I've got episodes already scheduled up through the end of January, and I'm sure I'll have a couple more conversations before the end of the month. So it shouldn't interrupt the podcast at all, but just wanted to give everybody a heads up. I will be traveling. No idea how long I'll be living in Argentina. Um, Probably at least three months, could be multiple years. I'm honestly not sure. Just living as a digital nomad, traveling around wherever there's Wi-Fi. Thank you for tuning in. This is Sweetman.eth signing off.